This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by hardcore fans, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get in this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, each week. I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. There are very few individuals that can say they started working for a team prior to its actual existence and over 20 years later still leading one of the most successful minor league baseball franchises as the team has sold out every game in their history. Our next guest has certainly done that and is still continuing to find ways to be successful. Our next guest is the Executive Vice President for the Dayton Dragons, Eric Deutsch. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having us. No, thank you, Eric, and, and I certainly appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So let's start from the beginning. Your father is in the Air Force, so you're born at the Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. At the age of four, you end up moving back to Las Vegas where your dad grew up, and you then from there, so like walk us through, what was your childhood like in a military family, and you know, what was the first job that you ever had? Yeah, my, uh, my dad uh, was stationed in a, a very – uh, frigid climate. He grew up in Las Vegas, so he was very happy to get back to Las Vegas, uh, then got out of the military and, and ran an insurance business for many years. But I think he's the one who exposed me to sports as a, as a young child, and I always felt it was so cool to have a, a ticket to an event at an arena or the stadium. Um, the smells were different. Uh, you had the ticket. Other people maybe did not, so you had access, you know, kind of Willy Wonka, I got the golden ticket. Yeah. And then when you got into the arena or the ballpark or the stadium, the smells were different, the sounds were different, and it just made it very cool as, as a young child 
going to UNLV basketball or going to a Padres game when we vacation in San Diego or me dragging him to those goofy wrestling events when I was a young kid. But it's always so cool to have a ticket and be in an arena. So I think that's where my love of arena and stadium sports came from my father. Nice. And, and, and you think back, you know, growing up in the military, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that are, are similar backgrounds, you know, certainly the, the work ethic and the, and the overall effort every day. But, you know, what was one of those early, you know, kind of jobs that really triggered your, your work ethic and passion that you had? You oh, yeah. My, my first, yeah, my first paying job, it, it, was a, it was a terrible job, but it, it paid money and it was kind of one of those things during the summer, hey, you you'll get to get out of the house and you're not going to just be watching TV all day. I, I always end up being a, a cleaning uh, guy for a apartment complex. So Monday through Friday, you would go through the apartment complex grounds and you would clean and it's in the middle of summer in Vegas and it's hot and you worked your butt off. And, you know, I was, I think 14 years old and I got a paycheck and I was pretty happy about that. So, um, you know, that kind of thing kind of instilled the, the pride in making sure everything was clean. The grounds look great and, uh, you know, not the greatest work conditions, but, you know, Hey, I, I was, I had a job and I was employed. I think a lot of people say that is you you have to do some of those jobs growing up and in high school that really show, okay, this is not what I want to do for a career, so I need to figure out my path. So, you know, Eric, you end up going to the University of San Diego and you study accounting. When you graduate, you get a job at a firm that, that was you know, with manufacturing equipment, working with auditors, et cetera, and you're making really good money right out of college. So, you know, walk us through how was that experience for you? Yeah, so in college, you know, you're trying to find your way of what what major, what career path you're going, and, and I did very well in the in the business, finance, and accounting area. So I got my degree in accounting. Um, I guess the way my brain worked is it logically made uh, sense for me. I did, I did well and and got a job in the accounting field. So I did that for two years, and I learned a lot about you know corporate fiscal management, uh, the general ledger, accounting systems, working with auditors, the P and L, the balance sheet. Uh, all the good basics for, you know, managing and running a company by use of financials. Uh, however, it just wasn't the thing that, you know, made me get excited about going to work every day. Uh, and in San Diego, where I was working, I had a friend who got a job with the San Diego Chargers, and I was talking to him about his daily work routine and how it was so cool to go to a, a stadium. At that time, it was Jack Murphy Stadium, and he'd work games and events and promotions, and it was just, it was just wow, I, I somehow just missed that you could get jobs in sports. So this was in 1992, and I think the sports management degrees were just starting up. And so I went back to grad school, left the accounting job, and got my sports uh, master's degree from St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida, and left there. And then I, I joined the uh, sports industry afterwards. Nice. And, and, you know, so, Eric, we talk a lot about, you know, having a passion for your craft and the industry you work in. And I know you you mentioned that story about, you know, having your friend had an internship. So it's like, hey, this kind of opened my eyes. How hard was it for you, you know, to, to go back to school and pursue kind of a new passion when, you know, to your point, you, you did very well in accounting. You had a really good job, really well paying right out of college. Like, how difficult was that of a decision for you? Yeah, I think I had to do some planning to save up some money and then understand that I'm going to go back to college and, you know, eat top ramen and watch the expenses and, you know, have four roommates and, uh, you know, drive a beater of a car and, and get internships, whether they're paid or unpaid, just to kind of uh, work your way into the thing that you want to do. Sometimes before you take two steps forward, you might have to take two steps back, and, and that's definitely what I did. I enjoyed the time. It was, it was fun. I was young enough so that, um, you know, not married, not, no kids, life's an adventure, you know, try something new, and it worked out well for me. And I think, you know, Eric, that's a great advice to all the listeners here on 52 Weeks of Hustle is just you've got to have a passion for what you're doing. You, you found out early on that 
you probably enjoyed a little bit of, of the accounting and working with the auditors, but that wasn't where your true passion was. So it's okay to take a step back because then that can put you on a fast track of what you're passionate about. And, you know, so after getting your master's, Eric, you take an internship at $7 an hour with a minor league hockey and baseball team in Las Vegas that's owned and operated by Mandalay Sports Properties. Again, similar to going back to college, that'd be a little bit of a pill to swallow as you were going from making, you know, 35 plus, uh, you know, salary to, you know, very small hourly wage. What were some key learning experiences, you know, throughout that internship there with Mandalay Sports Property in Vegas? Yeah, it was funny because uh, I had called, I moved back home to Las Vegas and lived with my parents for a little bit. So it was kind of George costanza it with my parents <laughs> for a while. Um but I put out my resume to a lot of places, and I got an interview with this uh, team in Las Vegas in my hometown, and they were starting this hockey team and already had the AAA baseball team. And so I kind of begged for an interview, got an interview, and, and the thing that I remember is that they weren't really hiring because they had so much money tied into the startup for the hockey team, but they were so behind in some things. The only thing that the lady could offer me was a $7 an hour internship, and I was like, I'm in. I, you know, it wasn't, hey, I'll think and get back to you on Monday. It was basically, I am in. I will, I will do this. I will, I will make it work, and you won't be uh, displeased with your decision. I will work hard. I will be honest. I will be a character guy. I will do what you want. I will learn. I will grow, and, and you'll be happy with the decision you made. And so I think the first two months, uh, I worked so much because there were so many things to do with the wrapping up the end of baseball season and starting the hockey season that they ended up hiring me full-time because uh, I think number of hours they were working they probably were saving a little money by hiring, hiring me full-time than paying me hourly but right uh, so that worked out real well and that was that was my first real paying job in sports and I loved every minute of it yeah that was probably before you had to you know punch the clock it was like here you're going to pay we're going to pay you 40 hours a week at seven bucks an hour like there's no overtime <laughs> probably <laughs> so so you obviously made a name for yourself you're quickly hired to that point full-time and then you're chosen along with the president of the Dayton Dragons Robert Murphy to lead a new franchise in Dayton Ohio so you know pretty much entire life you're know, on the west coast you'll walk us through with Mandalay Sports Properties one how did that opportunity come about and then ultimately like how was that transition to uh you know to to the midwest yeah, we, I had some very good uh, mentors around me in Las Vegas. Bob Murphy started working with the Las Vegas franchises in 94, and I've worked with him now for 26 years. Uh, Don Logan, who's been with the Las Vegas franchise for, gosh, I think 30 or 40 years. And then the Stickney family um, were very key as key owners of uh, Mandalay and some other minor league teams as well. <clears throat> they offered us uh, the job, me and uh, Bob Murphy, to take a look at the Dayton franchise that they were starting up, and uh, would we want to go out and start something new? And hey, you don't get an opportunity to build something from the ground up. Uh, Bob and I were kind of the only employees of Dayton, so we were going to hire 20-some people. We were going to start customer service policies, um, SOPs on almost everything in the office, sales strategy, sponsorship strategy, merchandising, game operations, stadium build, um, meeting and greeting new people in a new market that were so excited about baseball coming. And, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old, and, and I, I think I said it before, but life's an adventure, and, hey, sign me up. And the Midwest worked out very well. Uh, for me, we had four seasons, good way of life, uh, low cost of living, no traffic, no smog, very nice, very close to a lot of major cities if you want to venture out, and it worked out very well. Yeah, no, and to your point, very few people get the opportunity to do that. And, you know, like you said, back in 98, you start working from Vegas on the inception of that minor league team in Dayton, Ohio, and then 
uh, a year later, you officially moved to Dayton and embark on that incredible journey. And so, you know, I guess you mentioned you guys were the first two employees. You end up hiring 20 plus people. Like, walk the listeners through some of the meetings and calls you were on, not only to get approval of the team, but then also the ballpark as well. Because, you know, it wasn't like you're just coming in and having a new team. You had to build a new ballpark. Yeah, there, there was a lot of hurdles. There was um, the ownership group had to purchase the team in Rockford, and they had to get the AOK from the affiliate, the Cincinnati Reds, which we've been with them for 20-plus years. Uh, the city was working on a stadium plan, and there was financing hurdles that the owners got involved with and assisted with. Um, there was the location of the stadium. There was league approvals, Major League Baseball approvals, Reds approval. So all these uh, dominoes had to fall correctly before we can actually move and launch, and it took a while to get that done. So that got done, and now we've got a – financing package we got a stadium design we've got an architect we've got a general contractor we've got a franchise in rockford we're going to move it to dayton in at the end of the 99 season and we're going to start an office and start hiring employees and start ticket deposits and sponsor meetings and you know meet mayor and city officials and chamber of commerce and other folks in the community that would be important to meet from like hitting the ground running and uh, it, was, it was a very exciting time for us so looking back on that 20 plus years ago now what was what was one of the most exciting parts about going through that experience of, of building everything from the ground up? Yeah, I think there were three things that, that really stand out from that startup year. The first one was um, the announcement to the city of Dayton that they had been approved to have a franchise by Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, and the Cincinnati Reds, and they had a new ownership group to introduce that would bring the Rockford team. So I think it was February 23rd, 1999, we had a huge press announcement at a ballroom at a hotel in downtown. Um, crammed, I think it was like 700 people into the ballroom, wall-to-wall, had ticket deposits, had stadium seat designs, had stadium renderings, had a head table of 20 people from ownership to Reds personnel to uh, Midwest League personnel to city officials, and we announced that baseball was coming to Dayton, and that was, you know, front-page news, TV, radio for about a week. People were just so excited, and that started the ball rolling. Uh, About two months later, we had a second event where we actually unveiled the name of the team, the Dragons, and that was on May 3rd, in 99. And we did that in the center of downtown outdoors where we unveiled a 30-foot by 30-foot inflatable dragon with smoke and jesters and knights in charming armor, opened up our team store, and we're off and running as, as a team with a name. And then the, other, the third milestone was our, our very first game where we opened up gates for the first time in April of 2000. And, you know, 8,800 people dying to get into the ballpark and running an event for the first time. Um, I guess, you know, the gods are smiling with us. It was somehow 72 degrees and sunny in Dayton, Ohio in April on, on that April day. Team wins dramatic fashion, 4-3, to three, and you send everybody home happy. And, and now you've got your first game under your belt for what will be, you know, 20, 20-plus 20 seasons. Incredible experience and certainly an incredible journey, which we'll dive into. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed, it's here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today is Eric Deutsch, Executive Vice President of the Dayton Dragons. So, Eric, now on to the inaugural year of 2000. You guys put together and have every every game actually sold out prior to even that first pitch. You, met, you mentioned 8,800 people there on opening day, but every game that year was sold out. And I guess, oh, by the way, you, you haven't had a game that hasn't sold out in your 1,385 games and counting. And so... That first year, right off the, the get-go, how did the team just have so much success? Well, I, I think we, we did a lot of research prior, prior to coming to Dayton to see what teams who had just started up a franchise and then might, might have had two or three seasons about what worked well, what didn't work well, kind of learned from people's successes as well as maybe some mistakes or improvements of things that they didn't go so well. So one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to build long-term relationships with everyone, ticket holders, sponsors, suite holders, and we kind of made sure that we had good long-term plans for everybody. Um, we entered with good mini plan, affordable ticket packages for every walk of life, small businesses, large businesses, uh, large corporations, medium-sized companies, mom and pops, different size group outings at different price points. Um, we worked the databases very hard. We started building databases for the Dayton community in 98 from the Little Leagues of Churches, the groups, the Chamber of Commerces, the business lists. They had the Downtown Dayton Partnership and the City of Dayton and the Dayton Chamber of Commerce had a lot of data lists of companies and individuals who would support baseball if Dayton ever got approval. That started like in the early 90s. So there was a lot of people kind of on a, a list to be contacted. And I think we were very surprised by the uh, by the success. You know, we, we were very big um, John Spolstra uh, students in terms of how to sell the last seat in the house. He was a he worked for Mandalay for many years, and we learned a great number of things from John and Howard Newshow and Steve DeLay, and we followed all those principles on how to sell ticket packages and group outings and sponsorships. And, you know, we've, we've had season ticket holders who've been here with us for, for 20 years because of what we've, we provide in the entertainment side, the customer service side, the food and beverage side, and making sure that they had the right ticket plan to start with or they can downgrade their ticket plan or move their seats or treat them right, and, and it worked out very well. So we, we've been – good paranoid markers over paranoid mm-hmm. marketers over 20 years you know it's like you know you, the reason you have these people come to 70 games is you want them to have a great time so the renewal is easier and, and we've been very fortunate to have a, a great community and, and good diehard baseball fans and I think we could have done a good job when they've been in the ballpark no absolutely and we'll certainly talk about you know your your values and the, and the customer service you provide but you know kind of going back to the streak 1385 games in county and you, you know and you you've never you've never not sold out a game you know since the existence and it's the longest in sports by a long shot you know and and thinking about it of of how cool that is because in the minor leagues you really can't focus on players or dynasties because many times those individuals are different each year and so how do you guys continue to find ways to sell out now just on such a consistent basis yeah i think that um Going back to year one, it was definitely a surprise. Like we, we were sold out of all stadium seats, all group inventory, all suites, all hospitality prior to the first pitch. And it was like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is just crazy. Um, and then it happened again in year two and year three. Renewal rates were through the roof, 90-plus percent on season tickets, groups, suites, hospitality, everything. So we got to about 200-plus sellouts. And we're like, well, maybe we can get to 500. And then it was like, well, what's after 500? And it was the <laughs> Portland Trailblazers, 814. So we got to eight. 15, we're excited, then we're going to go to 1,000. And, and the streak is, is definitely unfair to the NFL guys. I mean, they have, they have only eight home games, and um, we have 70. And, you know, I think the Packers and the Broncos and a lot of other teams will be sold, you know, well beyond our, our deaths. So um, I just want to make sure that we're not – I'm not yeah, too haughty on this. Uh, you're this, humble this about that, but it's also yeah. on the flip side, it's, it's much harder to sell out every game when you have so many as well. Well, I guess I guess the thing that we've from day one is it was we've never sold wins and losses. It's always about the entertainment experience, 
um, taking care of clients, employees, prospects, having fun with your family, your little league team, your scout group, your church group, whoever you go and uh, hang out with. I just want to make sure it was fun. It's a social experience. And I think baseball is one of the best sports for that. I mean, you could miss three innings just talking to someone in a suite or taking laps around the stadium, and, and you still have a great time. You yep. can arrive early. You can come late. You can leave early. You can stay late. Uh, baseball is just that kind of laissez-faire, easygoing way to – you know, socialize with people versus another sport where you might be more paying attention to every, you know, every play, every down, uh, every every shot. Um, so it's, it makes it a very nice social experience. Um, we're really big on the customer service side of treating these people like gold when they come here. Really uh, very um, scrutinizing of the food and beverage experience. And then the entertainment experience. You know, we, we want to make sure that you, you go home and the kids are, kids are in the back seat and they're like, hey, did, did we win? three to two or lose three to, I don't really remember because we had so much fun. The kid was on the video board. They got a picture with the mascot. They got some dip and dots ice cream. Maybe one of the kids got picked to be in the in-between contest. It's just kind of Norman Rockwell Americana stuff versus, you know, oh, my God, that starting pitcher was terrible or well, I can't believe they lost two in a row or it's, it just doesn't matter. It's more about the experience. And that's what we always talk about in this business. You've got to control what you can control. You know, uh, for those of you who want to get in this business, you're not typically interviewing to be the starting pitcher or the starting shortstop, you know, on a baseball end. You're on the business side, and you've got to control what you can control, and that's the fans' experiences. And, you know, odds are if a month after the game you call ten people, maybe one of them would remember who won or lost. The other nine remember that, those experiences, which I know you guys, and, you know, growing up, as I mentioned to you, and we've had these conversations, I went to several Dayton Dragons games. I was fortunate to get my hands on some tickets. But, you know, I guess, Eric, on to some advice. You guys have had one of the bigger staffs in the minor leagues with 40 full-time employees, over 250 game day employees. So of all the successful people you have seen, what are some key characteristics they just bring to the table on a consistent basis? Yeah, that's good. good. Lucky, um, smart on hiring. You know, I think that uh, – you know, sometimes sports is not best for the Stanford, Harvard, MIT people, um, although that would be great. Uh, but, you know, we're looking for people who are hardworking, smart, intelligent, creative, honest, um, have good character, who are willing to learn, aren't afraid to make mistakes, uh, but will correct them in the future, and, and really want to um, enjoy the circus that they're running away to join. You know, it's, it's not a nine-to-five cubicle job. It's long nights. It's weekends. It's tarp pools. It's other events, it's, uh, you know, entertaining people while they're socializing. Um, and it's a lot of phone work and a lot of meetings and a lot of email and a lot of face-to-face. And, you know, you have to learn a skill and a craft. And you just want people who will, you know, carry your flag in a very positive way. Um, there's, there's nothing to be understated about work ethic. You know, someone can outwork everybody. That, that is a great, great characteristic. Um, learning is a great characteristic. Being honest is, is, is also a great characteristic. Um, it is so important for people to be able to learn and grow and just work hard. Yeah, and to your point, Eric, work ethic, learning, you know, being honest, those are all the things that individuals can control, you know, and, and kind of leading into the next part is, you know, you guys have done a great job of training and development. You've even won the, date, uh, the Dayton Business Journal Customer Service Business of the Year two years in a row. And so from your perspective, Eric, why is the constant training on customer service so important to you? Yeah, I think one of the things when Bob and I were coming to Dayton in 99 and Maybe it was in the 90s when customer service had kind of had a lag where you couldn't get a human being on a phone or you couldn't get a response or the, some of the ads are bait and switch. It's just like customer service was seen on a, on a pretty big downturn nationally. So we wanted to really turn that around to make sure that 
we were creating an environment where people were taken such good care of that if ever there was an instance where someone was at a social event and they were you know, talking about your brand or your company, that people would defend you if someone had a, a negative word to say. Not that, not that there's too many, so that's good, but you know, people just want to come and they have a great time. And we did some Disney training, and Disney is, is probably bar none the, the yep. best customer service experience. So you know, they, they teach people that, hey, if, if you're going to come to work for Disney, you've got to have your A game every day. If you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or you had a fight with your spouse or you got a flat tire and you can't come into work and produce your A game, you, one, don't come to work, and two, you, Disney might not be the place for you. So we want to have that kind of great experience where we're responding to the customers in one business day or less. Everybody gets a response. We're over-delivering. We're greeting and smiling with people at the ballpark. We're escorting people to their seats. We're saying goodnight and thank you to people when they leave. We're checking on group outings. We're checking on hospitality areas. We're doing meet and greets with season ticket holders. Um, the way we connect with people on their invoicing or their ticket delivery, um, providing season ticket gifts for folks, and just really making sure we're treating our people um, in the best possible manner so that um, they know that our brand is important, it's um, impeccable, it's something that they will defend in public, and they will continue to renew each and every year. Yeah, and I think that's great advice. Always go above and beyond in everything you're doing. You know, and you just listed you know ten or twelve different things. And so, you know, Eric, back in 2014, after 15 years of just a ton of success, the new ownership group comes in and purchases the team. And so, you know, many people probably thought with the new ownership group, they're going to bring in maybe their own people, and you may have to move on to the next opportunity. But you know, I guess. Now, looking at it, that didn't happen. And so how is that transition? And now, six-plus years later, what does that transition look like for your team with that new ownership group? Yeah, um, Mandalay had at one point had, I think, up to about seven or eight teams and had a bunch of investors. So they sold the teams off in 2014, and the Dragons were bought by three gentlemen who had met at uh, Harvard, were uh, colleagues and classmates many, many years ago. And they always thought it would be really cool to own a baseball team. So they looked at the minor leagues in, uh, in the mid uh, 2010s, and uh, Dayton became available, and they and they purchased the Dragons, and we've got three individuals who, uh, one is uh, in Boston, one is in, in New York, and one's in the D.C. area, who don't know so much, so much the business side of the sports industry, but are best, definitely great family men and great uh, baseball fans. So um, they they engage with us and say, hey, well, if it's not it's not broke. I don't think we can really fix too much. We just want to kind of retain and keep the people and keep what we're doing and make it successful. And how can we be a resource? And it's been it's a very been a very happy marriage. That, uh, marriage. Um, they provided some resources to uh, we extended bedding to the entire seating bowl uh, a year after they started. We got a new video board a year after they started. They provide us with capital resources to keep the building as we're aging into a 20 plus year building up to snuff. Um, they come here quite frequently to attend games and and meet people and enjoy the experience. And, and they've been a very good ownership group for us. That's great. And, and, you know, back to your career, Eric. So if, if it's somewhat unheard of for people to say they've stayed at, at the same team for 20-plus years in this business. But here you are, you know, and I know a lot of opportunities have presented themselves over the years. Why have you chose to stay in Dayton and continue to build on all the success that you guys have had? Uh, sure. Um, quite a few different answers uh, pop in my head. I think the first one is uh, the Dayton community has been very special. It's great. I, I met my wife here. We have children here. The community is great. Um, Dayton is a very um, great community uh, for uh, people who live here. I think the outside uh, outside Ohio probably don't know how special Dayton is. We've got great fans. We've got great season ticket holders, corporate sponsors, group leaders, city of uh, political officials, private uh, uh, business people. It's, it's just a great community. Um, two, uh, 
you know, our ownership groups have been great. They keep challenging us. It never gets dull. It never gets boring. Um, you know, our, our Bob and mine uh, fingerprints are all over this organization. It's almost like something we've kind of birthed and grown, and it just, you'd hate to kind of leave it. Um, and it just seems like it makes more sense for us at the minor league level. Um, you know, the big four sports can be tough. Um, you have unions. You have owner lockouts. You have uh, – CBAs to agree to. You have ticket prices that are a lot more expensive. You have much bigger crowds. Um, sometimes the success of the big four teams rise and fall over win-loss records where we don't have that. I, I do feel that when we walk around our facility on a nightly basis at Day or Ballpark that um, you almost seem to know everybody there because of how long they've been a client of yours or how you might know them in the community. I think Dayton is two to three, de- three degrees of separation from church, school, work, social mm-hmm. activity. So it's yeah. almost kind of like this um, I guess I might equate it to like the Division Three football coach who stayed there for 50 years and never went on to the Division One school, the NFL school, who just enjoyed being on campus and, and working for that that college yeah. for you know 30 plus years. So maybe maybe that's just my fit and, and uh, my my lot in life. And you've had a ton of success, and you know as a team as the Dayton Dragons, you guys continue to have success at the ballpark. You know the surrounding downtown area continues to expand, and you know I recently read an article that there's been over 1.5 billion dollars in development since Fifth Third Field opened up, you know 20 plus years ago, and it also shows that there's a 27 million dollar impact on the city of Dayton each year uh, that that ballpark and that destination. So how exciting has that been to see now that the surrounding area of that ballpark has really become a destination. Yeah, um, Bob Murphy and my first trip was in April of 98, and so we flew into the Dayton airport, and we got in a cab, and we gave him the address, and the taxi cab driver had to call dispatch to find out where it was in downtown, <laughs> and he drove us to this really kind of old, dilapidated area in downtown on the east side, and we were like, yuck. <laughs> so we're like, yeah. what did we get ourselves into? Um, but the city and the county and a lot of downtown planners had a vision and baseball was going to be that first domino to fall. So it was important to fall successfully, and it'll be safe and fun. People will figure out where to park, and they'll keep coming back. And it worked really, really well. It was wildly successful in year one, year two, year three. So that allowed many other dominoes to fall from our performing arts uh, theater, which is world-class, the Schuster Center. Uh, we have a, a public park, uh, metro park here called Riverscape, where we have festivals and concerts. Um, and that led into more housing, more businesses, condos, apartments, bars, restaurants. Um, CareSource is a big company in our community. They have five buildings in downtown. Um, there's, there's so much more going on in downtown than ever before, new hotels, new restaurants. Downtown is one of the places to be now, so it's been great to see from our first vision of 1998 to 2020 how $1.5 billion worth of projects have helped helped downtown Dayton become a great place to work, live, play, and, and continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned when I was in high school, you know, I went to a couple of Dayton Dragons games, and I probably haven't been back to near that area uh, up until we met about 10 months ago, and I was shocked by, you know, that surrounding. I think that just goes to show everybody in that community, you guys have certainly immersed yourself in there as well. And, and you even kind of to the next point of that is we talk a lot about innovation in this industry. How have you and your team continued to be proactive and innovative and in continuing to have a ton of business success? You know, because it could be easily just to sit here and say, hey, we're selling out. Let's, you know, kind of let's coast now. Let's get, get in cruise control. 
Yeah, I think on the on innovation, we've done a few things. The the first thing has been on the sponsor side. I think we've always been very innovative on the sponsor side with the less is more philosophy. I think we were one of the first teams to have the LED wall versus the painted signs. We were one of the first teams, I think, to hand out the game program free to everyone who comes in the ballpark, over 500,000 copies. We televised 25 of our home games, not road games, into our own market. Um, so we televised right here out of the stadium with a broadcast booth and a kind of a control system upstairs in our in our control room. So on the sponsor side, I think we've always been very innovative. Uh, the ticketing and entertainment and customer service and food and beverage side, we've always been taught that um, John Spolster had this phrase of new is a way of life. Um, if you don't do new, you kind of uh, wither and, and perish. So every year we kind of review what worked well the previous season and what didn't work so well and what to improve. And we've always got the idea file percolating and you want to do new for ticket holders. You want to do new for food and beverage. You want to do new for merchandise. You want to do new for customer service experiences. You want to do new for events at the ballpark. You want to do new for the entertainment. So every year each department is challenged with, okay, you know, let's keep some of the great stuff that we've got, but then how do we improve other things or is the idea file ready yet to bring out some things for new ideas that you know time has now come. And I think that's key, and, and again, kudos to all your guys' success, but I think that's the key for all of our listeners. No matter what you're doing, no matter what role you are, figure out ways to be innovative and continue to be proactive and, and keeping up with the Joneses. And, you know, I think, Eric, this is, has been really great. Pretty cool to hear from someone that's certainly been able to stay in the same organization and, and what a ton of great experience you've had from opening the ballpark to, to obviously the salad streak. So to close it out, Eric, i like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, so if you have to sing a karaoke song, what song are you choosing? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, actually, I was listening to this song last night in the car, and I guess I'll probably show my age a little bit. Um, but I think I did know all the words to Kiss's song, Beth. So I'll, I'll okay. do that one because it's not too high, not too low. I think it's only a three-minute song, so I only have to embarrass myself for three minutes. <laughs> I should get Spotify to, to, you know, to actually come through and, and partner with us because they, uh, when people say those songs, I'm sure they get a ton of downloads of those songs now. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. Eric, if you could bring back any fashion trend, you know, what would that be? Oh, boy. Um, that's a good question as well. Um, you know, I did like, and I don't, I don't know, maybe this is maybe just maybe a hot minute when I was in high school, but um, again, maybe showing my age here, but men were approved and A-OK to wear overalls, like as a fashion thing in, in high school. So I always thought those were cool because they had all these pockets you could put everything. I don't know. I just, you just didn't have to worry about too much. You put on a t-shirt and your overalls, you're ready to go. See, so I, I didn't know that that would have been popular in Vegas. Certainly in, like, the Midwest and living in the country where I grew up, that was certainly popular. I didn't know that was popular in, in Vegas. I thought it would be too hot out there. Well, when, when you're a junior high and teenager, you don't get too cool for Vegas because, you know, you can't get too close to the strip uh, until you're 21. So I think it was maybe a hot minute. Maybe it was around the, uh, I don't know, maybe the Back to the Future movie time frame. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I kind of like those, so. No, that's awesome. Eric, if you could choose two people to have dinner with and they could be alive or deceased, you know, who would they be? Hmm. Um, I've always been intrigued by John F. Kennedy. I, I don't know why. I think there's the whole the inter interesting of the presidency, um, you know, the, the rise of Camelot, and then obviously um, the assassination. So I think JFK would, would definitely be someone. And then, um, you know, I think um, – Gosh, I think I, I hate to go too presidential, but I, 
I visited George Washington's home and Thomas Jefferson's home and then read some things on Lincoln um, just because of the great job that our, our archivists do preserving some of the things. I think it would be, it'd be very cool to, to probably bring one of those through yeah. to the to conversation as well. That would certainly be an interesting dinner, to say the least. Yeah. I would love to be the server on that one. Yeah, I mean, especially if the you know, Jefferson or Washington building a country from scratch, you know, winning a revolution, and you know, how did you do that? You know, how did it start? And oh my gosh, you got 13 colony states, and I don't know, just it just sounds like a crazy time that you know somebody did all these great things and then preserved a lot of these things that still, you know, we still live by today. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Eric, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, yeah, I, I'd say that my, I've been very fortunate over my career in life to have good mentors, uh, good coaches, teachers, uh, bosses, and supervisors. So I think if, if you can get and surround yourself with those folks, and then even if you part ways to keep them, you know, on your speed dial or in your networking group, that's that's super important. Um, the second thing is is I think you, you always have to work hard, um, no matter what you do. Um, you know, we busted our butts in 1999, 2000, and then we really never stopped. Um, we're very paranoid about making sure this place is great each and every game, every year, and, and I think that's that's important work ethic. And the third thing, I, this is, is very true, one of my mentors told me is that, hey, the, the cup is never full. Um, you know, you can always learn more. There's always someone out there smarter that you should be listening to or, or taking a look at something. Um, you can learn something from the lowest paid employee or the lowest you know, job title to, you know, the CEO and the president and anyone in between. So it's always good to kind of um, listen and see what you can fill your cup with. No, absolutely. It's great advice. I think a lot of that is kind of our entire conversation here on 52 Weeks of Hustle is control what you can control and everything you do. And, you know, finding mentors is very easy. It's just, you know, continuing to take advantage of that. Obviously, work ethic is, is key, and I think open to learning is, is one of the biggest things. So, you know, Eric, thank you so much. You, you've certainly had a great career. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate your time and, and expertise today. Well, thanks for having me on. It was great chatting with you, and uh, we very much import, uh, enjoy the partnership. Perfect. Well, again, this is Travis Apple, and thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. 
If you haven't heard of the EE system yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.